<laughs> It'll be fun. <laughs> let him let him find out on the show. I kind of love that. <laughs> we'll drag him out of whatever diner he's eating something <laughs> terrible. <in. laughs> Hello and welcome to the second edition of the Little Red Bandwagon. I'm your host, Mike. And I'm your host, Christy. And this week I remembered to bring her in more quickly. <laughs> uh, tonight, uh, it's going to be a pretty interesting show, I think. We're, we're going to um, do our TBTLisms of the day, which we'll do every week to help catch up the people that are just getting on board with TBTL. Uh, we'll... <laughs> We'll be talking about uh, how's your podcast. That uh, that will also be a regular segment. Uh, we'll take some listener questions. Uh, those will be for yours truly, because I am the guest this week, and uh, that Christy will be interviewing me this week. We'll we'll take all the questions from the her call on Facebook and you know whatever else she wants to ask me. And then I'm, I will introduce my favorite moment in TVTL history. Uh, it's, uh, it was a sweet little moment. And we also have a listener who sent us a, a piece of tape, which we'll play to introduce that, which uh, kind of hits on why it was such a, a special deal. So if you're ready, uh, let's get started with the TBTLism of the day. Uh, we actually have a couple of, of them tonight, Christy. Uh, yes. What are they? Um, the first one is 11s. This goes with last week where the fans of the show call themselves the 10s. And so it came, I don't know about what show it came about, but the 11s are the friends and family of 10s that listen infrequently, often attend events um, under protest or have to listen to us talk about it at length. And I, I put this one in because we did 10s last week and also because we have an 11 that is our producer slash uh, sound person. Yeah, so. we need to get him to be a 10 because, <laughs> you know, like earlier this week, Christy and I are listening to the show pretty intensely and some stuff came up and we were like, oh, well, we should put together something and submit it. But he didn't get it. He couldn't get it because he wasn't in the show. He, you know, he wasn't listening. He doesn't, uh, you know, it was a little frustrating. So, <laughs> Jeremy's going to have to start listening. I'm sorry, Jeremy. I know you're producing hundreds of podcasts a week. <laughs> you're the star of Takedown Podcast, and you have a lot on your plate. But let's scoot a little bit of that, you know, uh, the the, the cheese-covered potatoes aside <laughs> and drop a little bit of TVTL listening on there. So you're not allowed to talk on the show, Jeremy, but <laughs> I'm just giving you an order right now. So the 11s. Christy, I would just say that they're good sports. Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> because it, because if, if if someone says that their their wife, their girlfriend, boyfriend, husband is not an eleven, it kind of means that they're hostile towards the show. Like, True. don't even talk to me about it. Like, elevens are like, ha, yeah, that was pretty funny. That third hand thing that you just told me. <laughs> That's true, and often eleven is in my eleven. My eleven is coming. My 11 said this when I said that joke. It's always a possessive in front of it. Yeah, and I think there are some rare transformations of 11s into 10s. 
but I don't think there's ever a 10 into an 11. If you're, if you're out on TBTL, you're kind of out, right. you know, you don't want to, but, uh, but hopefully we can bring some 11s in and grow the family. I don't know. What's, uh, what's the other TBTLism of the day? The other one is tired and emotional or T and E. Um, this came about, Jen introduced it because there was a news story and it's out of Great Britain um, because of libel laws. You're not allowed to say someone's a drunk unless you have legal proof. So the press. Well, took, no, no, Christy, not just a drunk, but drunk at all, right? Right. Okay. You can't say this person was drunk driving or right. he was drunk in public. You can't say it at all. Um, so a uh, reporter said that they were tired and emotional and then it has adopted into the and that's basically what it means t and e tired and emotional and this is frequently used on tbtl it's pretty accurate though because (laughs) when when you are drunk you're usually pretty tired and sometimes emotional so it's not that far off and it sometimes like british culture just finds a more uh i guess graceful way to say things. Yeah, exactly. I, I was reading the history on it and it said that it was actually a reporter invented it after he got woken up in the middle of the night after JFK was shot and he was drunk and doing the news, the news. And, um, he, the next day apologized and said he was a little tired and emotional, which is true, right? <laughs> he was both tired and emotional. Right. It's what you don't say that says right. everything. <laughs> So that leads me to how's your podcast? Um, tired and emotional. Our friends, Joellen, you know, well, I can't really call her a friend. I really don't like <laughs> I'll Joellen say she's my so friend. <laughs> but my, my friend, Mike McCauley, and that basic bitch, Joellen McCauley, have a podcast called Tired and Emotional. And it's not, it's not about TBTL, but, it, you know, obviously the title is inspired. So, Go check that out. They're about three episodes in. So that is How's Your Podcast for tonight. And if we can ever find a clip of Luke saying, How's Your Podcast? I would love for that. Oh, yeah. So, Jer- Jeremy? Get on that. You just shook his head. All right. So now, Christy. Yes. Everyone's been waiting. It's a, it was a pretty good week on TBTL. Let's do the TBTL Week in Review. Okay. Hello, did I lose you? Christy, we have to wait for Andrew to go get a pen and, pen and paper. Okay, okay, I think he has it. Okay, so, oh, oh, sorry, Luke, turn it off. <laughs> if the one guy saying your role play on Tuesday wasn't up to par, not in your feelings, then this is no place for you. <laughs> so, good night, Luke. All right. Monday, episode 1822, A Distinct Lack of Bajancy. Right off the top, Lou, um, I'm sorry, Andrew was seemed upset. I mean, it seemed like he was still genuinely upset about what Genevieve did, did over the weekend. Um, Christy, what did she do? She posted a picture and just wrote wedding selfie. And that made their Twitter or their Facebook blow up. Because everybody assumed that they got married. 
I saw it too. I ha- I would never have assumed that from that picture from what they were wearing, just knowing mm-hmm. them. But he said they had 50 to 100 comments of people saying congratulations or what, call me. <laughs> and, I think and- what it demonstrated more than anything else, Christy, is that people, most people on Facebook aren't capable of or aren't trying to pay a lick of fucking attention. Right. They just want to be the first ones to comment or get the scoop. And Andrew was um, upset and he said that he had a talk to her about Facebook photo ethics and whether she should have posted that or not. And Mm. I, for one, don't think this is a ethics issue. Yeah, ethics. That's an odd term. (laughs) I do think that there's ethics behind. If you take a picture with a friend and you look particularly horrible, you should get to veto that. That's an ethics issue. (laughs) But they look both looked good. It's the other idiots. And what I say is anyone on their face, any of their Facebook friends that thought that that was them announcing their wedding need to be deleted out of their life and off their feed. Yeah, and I think that what it, what it comes down to is when you are a celebrity or famous podcaster such as Andrew, you have a lot of friends on Facebook that right. don't really know you. So your friends that really know you know that you and V's aren't getting married, and <laughs> and and that if you if they were getting married, they would get an invitation or there would be some sort of indication. So it's. I bet all the people that were like, congratulations, were people that are not tight with them. Yeah. I mean, that just also, I mean, on my other podcast, I I have a whole segment about things I hate on Facebook. And that's one thing I hate is that it is common to make an announcement like that in a vague booking type way. Mm-hmm. That, that would be, I mean, that's not an Andrew thing to yeah. do, but yeah. I have plenty of friends that that's what they would do. Yeah, um, complicated feelings about this because uh, Andrew seems like one of the nicest and most traditional guys in the world, yet he's just like staunchly anti-marriage. And I think that had a lot to do with his reaction to it. Like, how dare you think that I could ever get married? I didn't take it that way. I thought it was more because I know how this kind of thing is when you do announce something in a proper way, you get about time. That's, I think, what he <laughs> would get mad about because I would get uh, annoyed with that. It's about time, make her an honest woman and all that kind of <laughs> terrible yeah, after, sexist stuff. After 14 years, everyone should just shut the fuck up. Right. Let, them do whatever, let them do whatever they want right. to do. Obviously, they have, the, they have their relationship wired. So, you know, it's their call and not mine to congratulate them on some fake wedding. <laughs> So uh, there, there's a lot of interesting stuff on Monday. Yes, the, the it was packed. next thing I wanted to get into was Luke was at his niece's. Um, it was like a uh, a play, play that they put on. Um, and Luke's mom, Susie, I love her. We need to get her on. She needs to be a guest. Can you can you describe what Susie did at that? Oh God, what didn't she do? Um, she kept rolling her eyes she would ask hey did anyone find out how long this is going to be um and then at the end she she uh acted like she was going to kill some of the children with a bow and arrow 
<laughs> well, I guess it was in keeping with the theme of the, or not the theme. It was Robin Hood. Yeah, and and like the, the the sheriff's guys were like shooting arrows at the guards or whatever, and then the guards came marching out, and she wanted to preemptively kill them and keep <laughs> the production moving. It's my favorite. I just love this woman. <laughs> I just love that she was trolling children. <sighs> yeah, yeah, she's uh, she's something else. Um, so the that sparked a big conversation on the stench page about the. Like the kids getting bouquets, mm-hmm. like like you could pre-order bouquets. I think Macaulay said that uh, his daughter Maddie had been in one of these plays, and you could pre-order a bouquet so that your kid would get a bouquet. They have a daughter, but I mean, if I mean, I was in a lot of plays when I was a kid. I if someone tried to give me a bouquet, I would have run and I would have, like hid under the backseat of my parents' car. A bouquet. Yeah. What the fuck for for like a six-year-old play? Come on, guys. Right. Like Luke said, you have one line. Congratulations. And it is it does become an economics issue because so then every time this kid's going to be in a play, they're going to get a bouquet. Well, what about the ones that can't afford that or their parents forgot? In my case, it would be my parents couldn't afford it or they forgot. Yeah. You know, you get half into your box of wine in the trunk. Yeah. Well, I have not going to remember my whole family was late to my high school graduation because they were watching the OJ uh, car chase. (laughs) They just missed the first 10 minutes of it. And they were supposed to drive me. I mean, they were all just glued to the TV and I ended up having to get a ride with a friend. Well, come on, Christy, you're in the W's. It's going to, you know, (laughs) there's no need to catch the front of the graduation show. It's going to be a while. Well, they, at mine, they did it by height. So I was pretty close to the front. (laughs) Oh, oh yeah. Really? By height? <laughs> yeah, because we sat flat. So then they wanted the tall people in the front or the back, you know? Uh-huh. I don't know. I didn't organize it. <laughs> That's really interesting. Um, the the thing about like graduations, I was just thinking about this. The at Cullen's graduation, we're, there, we're in Austin and the high school he went to is very multicultural. So the the superintendent, I think, was the one who announced all the graduates. And boy, was there a degree of difficulty on that shit. <laughs> and he fucking nailed it. I, I respected the guy because because he had to be up all night for all of these graduations. Just maybe, maybe making some phone calls. Like, uh, yes, uh, Luis, yeah. um, could you just say your last name for me, please? Can you write it phonetically on this piece of paper? That's a lot of pressure because you're going to, you could ruin someone's graduation. Oh yeah. You know, we didn't have to worry about that. I mean, you didn't, but I could have, it could have been frizzle on, on mine, yes. you know, but Hey, you know, if that's the worst, eh, I can live with that. <laughs> so, uh, the other thing they talked about on Monday, uh, where was the fraternity, um, the Oklahoma fraternity, where they were chanting uh, the racist thing in the bus and it was caught on tape and there's been a lot of repercussions over that. Um, yeah, you know, a lot of frat guys are terrible. Um, were you in a frat? Uh, yeah, yeah, I was. I was in a frat. I was in Delta Tau Delta at the University of Washington. Mm, my and, and Luke and Andrew were both saying that, you know, they had friends that were in frats and we all say, 
well, ours is different. You know, ours is just totally. weird. And, 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 you know, I were the academics. Totally, yeah. I would sort of echo that. I mean, just because the fact that I was in, it was diverse. And if we wanted to sing a song about, we're not going to let black people into our fraternity. We had to make sure that the black guys in the fraternity were on a different bus. <laughs> so, so, you know, yeah, Mexicans, Chinese guys, black guys, we had all these guys. What we all had in common in, in the D2D chapter at UW was we all liked to joke. We all liked to, you know, kind of like the, the, the takedown family, you know, it was like, if you can't take a joke, don't come in here, but everybody's getting it and we're taking it. So Bill Radke uh, was a pledge brother of mine. Okay. And I know a lot of people in Seattle know him. He's a radio personality. He used to host Market, Marketplace before Kai Rizal. And uh, he's a very funny guy. Um, I'm, I'm sure it comes across sometimes when he's on the radio. But like as a human, he's one of the fucking funniest people I've ever known in my life. And we'll talk more you know, about my connection with Bill and Luke later on because it's my week to be interviewed. <laughs> but uh, so if you know three people that have been in Delta Tau Delta, and that is myself, uh, Bill Radke, and Will Farrell, I'd say you're doing all right. So we don't need to shut down all the fraternities. Let's, you know, if 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 the guys are funny, let them keep. Well, I, I disagree. And in fact, that's why I chose to go to Western because when there's frats on campus or off campus or however it works, when there's a Greek mm -hmm. system, your chances of being raped go up. Uh, yeah, I'd say especially if you're around the SAE house, which is the house that was involved in the Oklahoma incident. Yeah. There are frats regionally, nationally that you don't want to get involved with. You know, SAEs, Fidelts, you know, there are frats that are pretty terrible all across the nation and it's it's a shame that there are you know plenty of good good frats kai sai uh the delts whatever and you never hear about them and hopefully you never will sure okay all right so we'll disagree on that um but I will, i'll I, never ever be in a fraternity so no you have no. more insider on that yeah and i'll never be in a sorority again which is sad because again. i really enjoyed my time when i could sneak <laughs> into the sorority <laughs> All right, so that was a long time to spend on Monday. Let's go to Tuesday, episode 1823, Projectile Economics. Uh, boy, they started the show with the Dreamcatcher segment. Ugh. Christy, how do you feel about Dreamcatchers? Dreamcatchers is the worst segment ever in the history of life of all podcasts. And this is the one place where Andrew and I have disagreed ever. Um, mostly because I don't want to hear anyone else's dreams. I don't even want to talk about my own. It's terrible. And I really appreciate that he took it and forced it to Twitter because now yeah. I, I just have a, I have a filter. So I never see it with the hashtag and it's fine, but I hate it. Well, the, the one they brought up that episode is one that sounded like a, just a flat out creation mm -hmm. and Luke called him out on it. And Luke, <laughs> that was pretty funny. Andrew kind of agreed and everyone was like, mm, yeah, probably, probably was made up. And when you do something like that, you're just inviting people to make shit up, right? you know, because they want to sound interesting or cool. And 
here's the thing. You probably are interesting and cool, but this dream thing is not working for you. Well, and that's what really annoyed me about it is because I would be looking through the feed in the stens and it would be like, my dad died and my upstairs neighbor was Tom Petty and he invited me into, you know, the, all these extravagant stuff. I'm like, this is the weirdest thing I've ever heard. I, I need to know more information about this story. And then it would be hashtag dreaming or dream catcher. And I'm like, yeah. what the hell? You sucked me in. Yeah, and the, the ones online were so long and you yes. got invested in it. And then you're two-thirds of the way through and you figure it out and you go, oh, motherfucker. Yeah. Dream <laughs> I know. I, I stupid song comes through your mind. I mind. know. And then it, it's stuck in your head. Um before he moved it to Twitter, I almost created a whole Sten site for dreams because I couldn't handle it anymore. Oh, good good call there. But now that it's at Twitter, we don't have to worry about that. Yeah, we haven't seen any of that stuff in a while. I'd rather look at like a, I mean, if we turn the filters off, I'd rather look at, you know, pictures of like people trying to sell me Chinese Nikes right? than <laughs> another dream catcher post. Yes. You know, Takamoto, just open it up, but filter the dream catchers. Yes, I sure. agree. So the the other thing they talked about on that show was was the lady who was being uh committed for mental issues and she tried to stave that off by telling them that Obama followed her on Twitter. Yes. So, so I mean, am I mistaken? I I haven't really looked into it, but doesn't he follow a zillion people on Twitter because yes. He followed back everyone who gave him a message or was contributing right. to During, the campaign. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, you know, to me, that wasn't a convincing argument on her behalf. And the other thing is, using the argument that someone is following you on Twitter is not a convincing argument that you're not crazy because there are lots of people who just follow people because they're crazy. Like, so you can't use it as an argument. Well, a lot of people follow me on Twitter. So a lot of people follow Jose Canseco when he chops his finger off yeah. and tries to play cards at a casino with his decaying finger. I mean, that's what Twitter's about. Right. I I just want to know what got, how did the conversation get to the point that she dropped that bit of knowledge? <laughs> right. right. Because she I mean, wasn't locked up because she said that. No, 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 not at all. Not at all. There had to be some shit that. No, she said it. That. Because it escalated to that. Yeah. And what was yeah. her, I mean, they talked about a little bit, what, what, what was her point? Then she was going to tweet him and he was going to knock some justice in there? Or like, what was, <laughs> what was supposed to be her end goal with that? Uh, yeah, that whole story seemed like a big media creation, but um, they did a role play. <laughs> uh, and last, last week, my, my clip of the week was the role play of the, incredibly racist Starbucks barista. This week, I want to play the clip of the week, which is the role play of Andrew trying to stave off uh, mental commitment. And there was a, well, let's talk about it after the clip. Play Please play it, Jeremy. Anyway, um, so I am a, uh, I'm like a, a I'm a, a doctor. I'm a psychiatrist. And you've been brought in. What have you been brought in for? Well, let's just stick with this scenario. You know, I okay. was really upset. Like, I was falsely okay. accused, or at least I believe I was falsely accused yeah. of um, having drugs when there were no drugs in my possession at okay. all. So that's already maddening. Now I'm showing up. I want to get my damn car back. 
and the police aren't giving it to me and accusing me of all this stuff, I get a little mad, and then the white coats come in. Okay. Hey, Andrew, how's it going? I'm I'm Dr. Burbank. Hi, doctor. I'm... uh, (coughs) Pardon me. First of all, I need to quit smoking. Secondly, uh, this, you know, it's been a very frustrating experience. I hope that you're here to... To help me untangle all of this and just get me on my way. Uh, I'm absolutely here to help you and uh, to really make sure that your needs are being met. I'm looking through uh, some some paperwork here, and uh, it sounds like um, the uh, police were called out to Langer's Deli, where mm-hmm. you had gone. Th- what I'm reading here is that you'd gone behind the counter and that you were just taking handfuls of pastrami and uh and eating it and you refused to leave you said because you were the pastrami expert of southern california and therefore were allowed to sample pastrami uh at random is that would you say that's your memory of of events it's not what happened doctor i had ordered pastrami at the counter and was waiting forever for my sandwich to come out Uh and they brought the soup which was fine but then i was waiting for my sandwich and became like 20 minutes between the soup and the sandwich and then i think it was actually an entire half hour i had mentioned it to the waiter a couple of times he kept saying it was coming so then i stood up and i was sitting near the end of the counter so i stood up at the end of the counter, and they accused me of trying to go behind the counter, which I was not doing. I was just standing, and I was just trying to get their attention because it was ridiculous. Well, the thing is, is I'm looking over some of this um, paperwork, and it definitely uh, would appear that some of the other people who were there, the staff of Langer's, the, some of the other customers, that they they have a bit of a different memory of, of how this went. Uh, they definitely had a sense that you were behind the counter. Um, and at one point you yelled, Viva la Revolucion. I did. Um, I did shout that, but you, not from behind the counter. Do you, do you think, is it possible this is one of those, and we've all had this, Andrew. Um, uh, is it possible this is one of those cases where maybe your memory of events is not completely uh, in line with other people's memories? Is it, is it possible, too, that maybe you've been going through some stuff and, uh, and you don't remember it uh, totally clearly? No, I'm quite – I remember it very clearly. We're talking about something that just happened two days ago. I was absolutely clear. I didn't – I actually yelled, Viva Pastramione, which okay. is the one thing. So that right there oh, shows you okay. that – Well, I could, um, see, but I could see how people might mishear that um, and, and maybe get a, a different impression. Well, let me – okay. Um, why don't we just sort of uh, – we'll table that for now. Uh, when when uh, they were doing the intake paperwork for you um, yesterday, you wrote down your legal name as El Ropo. <laughs> yes. I'm yes, wondering, that is. Um, is, that, uh, is that a nickname? Is that a uh, – who's El Ropo? El, El Ropo, I mean, see, now this is <laughs> – this is going to sound I, – I realize that you already think I struggle with some mental issues. I, I promise oh, you I'm, I don't. Okay. I mean, just the fact that you are here, doctor, Mm -hmm. um, and wearing a a white coat, and that I'm in um, shackles. Yeah. But um, so those are just those are for your safety as much as uh, no. I understand. Um, I just really want to put this behind me. El El Ropo is a uh, a magician here in uh, Los Angeles, and um, that's a character played by a magician. And I have sort of uh, I've sort of co opted it as a nickname of my own. Okay. Because I work on a, um, yeah, like an imaginary, it's like an, it's an imagine, 
I work on like an imaginary radio show. Now, when you say imaginary radio show, what is what is that? What does that mean to you? Um, I have a friend okay. who who lives. He doesn't live around here. He lives way up north, in like a really in small little. Vi- vi- it's right below Canada, in this small okay. fishing village. And he and I, um, we uh, we use equipment that connects his office to my office, and we talk into microphones. And we talk about. We'll probably talk about this actually on the show. Okay, I'm just writing some of this down. Mm-hmm. Um, so, are there? Does this show have listeners? Are yeah, there, about uh, about a, so like ten, I believe. Ten, ten listeners. Ten, yeah. Are tens those of listeners. are those um, are those people that you've met, or are those also people that <clears throat> that are physically a lot not of social able to media. be found? We're we're friends on on uh, social media, Twitter and okay. Facebook and stuff like that. And, I mean, they're Would definitely they're definitely of, real. I don't know. Do you have a lot of Twitter followers? Do you have any important Twitter followers that you'd like to mention as a, do you, some sort of? Do you are you a public? Do you know who Madeline Brand is? Not familiar. She's a she hosts a, a radio show and she follows me on Twitter. Okay. Sometimes she tweets at me too. And oh, we joke around, like just like normal. Who has more followers? People. Do you think you or Madeline? I, I would, is that something you check I would, on? I, would, I wouldn't know off the top of my head, but I would say she has about two hundred and seventy-seven more followers than I do. When is the last time you checked on if Madeline just, Brand had more followers? Just on you? the, just not. I mean, I, I don't know for sure. Probably on the way over here. Okay. Um, well, uh, this has actually been really useful, Andrew. Great. So and, I can um, uh, go. Oh no 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 no! Yeah, no, sir. No, I've clear. I've answered all of your questions. Yes, and those answers have let me know that it is going to be a long time, Chief, before you see the light of day. It just occurred to me how fucking crazy my job does sound. <laughs> That's and the problem with that. See, I'm actually more worried now than I was before that. The deeper we got into that, the more I realized you are actually mentally ill. I know things are. Things things are problematic. I'm not going to go anywhere near Langer's today. Okay, so that clip, there was someone on Facebook who didn't like it. And he posted on the stands and said, you know, it was weeks off or something like that. Yeah. And almost everyone disagreed with him. I mean, we all kind of enjoyed it for the fact that, like, forcing Andrew to examine what he's really doing. <laughs> Um, if you leave off the getting paid part of it, it it's really sounds fucking crazy. Kind of like us doing this in the middle of the night. Exactly. You know, after our audio problems. I don't so, even really tell people that I do it. Like no one at work, one, one girl I work with knows, but that's because she was a temp and she left. And so I thought, oh, it's safe to tell her. And then she came yeah. back. Um, but other than that, I'm not going to tell people because it does sound a little crazy. Yeah. Uh, so the the role play itself I thought was pretty good. I mean there was it was solid and it did make Andrew face some some tough realities. But you know, the fact is he's getting paid. So, you know, count yourself lucky, Andrew, and I hope you're still listening because if you're not then I'm gonna keep hammering you about uh giving us your drug history because you might have knotted out by now with the needle sticking out of your arm. So until you tell us what the deal is, we're just going to have to imagine the worst. The so worst. The, the next thing they talked about on that show was the, and this kind of inspired the rest of the week's stories about 
poop. poop. Uh, yeah, they were talking about um, how much gold and how how many diamonds and how much cash and everything comes down to the sewer system. Um, Christy, had you heard anything about that until they well, were talking about it? I mean, I always imagined that there was stuff like that, but for this much, and how does the gold get, I mean, I know that Andrew also posted on the, the Sten site is that he understands like there's coins and, and dollars that get flushed down or, or lost in the sewer or whatever, but they're talking about actual metals, precious metals being gold in our feces. How does that happen? Hmm. Well, I'm not swall. I mean, it's not everybody swallowing fifty thousand or what was it, fifty million dollars worth of Goldschlager. Right, and somehow your digestive system can can press all that stuff together <laughs> and press out a nugget. Uh, yeah, this this is a tough one because you know, uh, with my prison experience, I know that there are fellows who have to mine through their own shit in order to. Mm-hmm find precious valuables <laughs> that they've swallowed in the visiting room, you know, mm-hmm. like with a passionate kiss with their wife, they swallow these balloons or baggies and they have to mine their shit for actual, you know, meth, heroin, all that shit. Um, I gotta say though, like the, the, I saw a theme through this, the Tuesday show. And that is if you're looking to Twitter, like who's following you and who's favoriting you and who retweets you. If you're looking at Twitter for validation, it's pretty much the same thing as like fumbling through your shit to try to find anything valuable. Uh, I draw a parallel. So what I'm wondering if there is this much metal, gold, money and gold, why isn't every city doing this? They could get out of debt. Yeah. You're talking about like a, Place, place the filters down. and Yeah, they're already, I mean, through the treatment, I mean, they already treat it until it's like a liquid sludge type stuff, right? So mm-hmm. they're already doing that. So why not turn it in and get, you know, it's kind of like the coin star. It's the poo star. Yeah, yeah, like like Detroit, you know. Uh, yes. City of poop diamonds. Yes. <laughs> I love that the, the lady, oh, I guess that's on the next day's show. <laughs> Wednesday. Wednesday. So, 1824, a lot of thunder to hide. That's one of my favorite episode titles. And I did like that the comedian and the writer for Livewire, Alex Falcone, he he called him out on uh, on thunder. You know, mm-hmm. how can you hide thunder? It's a sound. <laughs> I I loved him. He was great. I would see him do stand up. Yeah, he was. He was and. Um, it seemed like he didn't have any idea uh, what, what the show into. was about. Yeah. So he just came in swinging and that was fine. You know, mm-hmm. uh, they they did talk about the lottery winner. I, what was the story that inspired it? Was, was it the fact that there was a state that was going to make the uh, winners make, anonymous? Right. Right. Why isn't this a thing already? Because they said that the states that are against it say they use it for advertisement. Oh, yeah. Here's the, the next guy's life we just ruined. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought about, like, not if I win the lotto, but I was thinking in terms of the show, like if Luke won the lotto and he talked about how 
he's made some purchases that he had to justify to his wife. He, mm-hmm. I, I forget whether it was the first or the fourth wooden boat that he bought that he <laughs> he hid from Carrie. But I thought if if you could, like if if Luke won the lottery, he would so much appreciate that anonymity. And just one day Carrie would stumble into some, you know, massive dock with 7,000 wooden boats because he, he wouldn't change his lifestyle at all. He'd just keep acquiring wooden boats. Right. And the gambling, more of a gambling addiction. Oh, forgot about the gambling. I don't think he's that much of a gambler anymore. Yeah, he kind of lives far away from that situation too. Yeah, you'd have to, you know, get into some some very small card rooms out there. It'd probably be pretty dangerous. <laughs> I just loved that Alex said if he wins the lottery, he would order appetizers at dinner. <laughs> that was my favorite answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, some Diablo shrimp, man. <laughs> <laughs> and then we got to hear more of Luke's childhood, which I this week he did a lot of that, and I loved it because this is a good way to introduce the new listeners to how he grew up. He talked a little bit about the fake homeschool that he did, which was basically just his mom keeping him home. Mm-hmm. And that happened twice two, two, <laughs> yeah. for two years. Homeschool um, emphasis on home. Yeah, exactly. And I guess if you have five small children at home, that it, it's just kind of an effort to send one to school. I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know her motivation. Um, I loved the story of them going out to dinner with the entertainment book and six people sharing two entrees. Well, you have to do it on a Tuesday because that's the only day most of those coupons were valid. <laughs> and it was some, some uh, lesser or equal value entrees. Uh-huh. And then that she would get the salad bar and load up and feed everybody from it. She She's kind of like you. Uh, she's yeah, a cheap yeah. bastard like you. Yeah. She's as cheap as me just without the shred of dignity that I'm trying to hang on to. <laughs> Well, you also don't have six children. Who knows what you would have been like? I don't, and I won't. And then we had a um, listener write in, and her husband works at the sewage treatment plant, and she talked about how they go, they collect all this money, and they have fancy dinners that they all go to because of, of the money that they find in there, and that she has multiple poo diamonds. Yeah. And that was my I, favorite. God bless. I mean, if you're doing that kind of work, like if you're a garbage man or if you work at the sewage treatment plant, fuck yeah. I mean, it's just like working at a restaurant, getting to take some food home. Exactly. But a little bit opposite, the end result of getting to bring (laughs) food home. Right, 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 right. You know, we we need people to do these jobs. Why not give them a little uh, lanyap, a little bonus (laughs) when uh, when they're dredging? Um, And then another thing they spoke about was Facebook rabbit holes. Have you ever found yourself doing this? You know, I, I'm not. In the Facebook rabbit hole, as Luke was describing it, was he, he like, someone will give a friend request and he'll go, you know, make sure they're a real person. And then he'll start, like, like any um, Matlock or <laughs> whatever. He'll get involved. He starts getting involved in their lives. You know, he starts mm-hmm. looking at all their pictures and, and, and starts, like, clicking on ancillary people not even the ones that he was going to be friends with me not so much i'll i'll just make sure they're a real person and then i'll friend them i don't you know unless i have a reason i don't uh i don't try to be an investigate investigatory journalist as they say in zooland 
Oh man, I do it. I will find myself three degrees away from the the main person, and then I write myself little notes to go back because I'm not going to like the post so that I can follow it, but I want to know what happens. Um, speaking of speaking of the, that like phenomenon, there's somebody uh, at my work, and you know I've known this person maybe now for about six months, and after I'd known them for about a month, uh, this person goes by a different name than they go by at work, and so it took a few clicks to make the connection. But this person liked a photo of mine like from six years ago, and. And I wasn't Facebook friends with them. They just liked it until I got this notification. I was like, "It was an accidental it. like. I've done it." Yeah. <laughs> yeah have you? No. Well, how do you feel after something like that? Because you can't think it back, right? Well, sometimes I don't know if you can. It it's the worst because you feel so ridiculous, and <laughs> especially when it's supposed to be someone you're not supposed to be looking at. Yes. It. Oh man. It's the worst. Well, and also it feels really weird. I've been having that lately where someone will like a picture from years and years ago. Yep. And you get a notification and you're like, what is happening? But at the same time, I can't judge because I do it too. And I'll I'll usually do it back to that person. But I don't like, you know. It's hard on your phone because sometimes you'll do the accidental like. Oh, right, right, right. Because you just, you're you're trying to click something else and just the... Mm -hmm. If you fat finger it and oh, what did I just do? It's even it's even um, on Instagram. I know you don't Instagram, but on that you can't make the pictures bigger. And when you you do that, you try because you you're used to do it, being able to do it on Facebook on your phone. When you try to make it bigger, it will sometimes do a double click, which is a like, and then all of a sudden a heart shows up, and your you know your heart just sinks. <laughs> like oh crap, you were just. Trying to zoom in on the meal and, and yeah. figure out whether it was boudin or andouille sausage, yeah. and there Bam. you've liked liked someone's lunch from mm-hmm. seven years ago. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, let's see. What do we got left? Friday? Have we gone into Friday yet? We haven't done Thursday. Oh, Thursday. Okay, to a Bigenheimer for our britches. Thursday episode eighteen twenty five. Chris Hayes uh, came on at the beginning of the show, and unfortunately, he had to go pretty fast, but he previewed a story that they were going to talk about on All In with Chris Hayes, and that was the fact that these um, butt wipes that a lot of people are using, these um, they're, they're intended for infants, but a, a lot more adults are using them. The wet wipes are not decomposing in the sewer system the way they're supposed to, and it's costing a lot of money and a lot of effort and all that. Um, Chris Hayes coined the term big butt wipes because they were going to have someone from one of the, uh, I forget which company, but one of the corporations that makes these things on the show. So, so they were going to defend, uh, big butt wipe was going to defend the industry. Um, Christy, yes. you love Chris Hayes, right? Oh my goodness. I loved him before, but I met him when he was in here in C- when he was here in Seattle signing a book and um Luke was emceeing the book signing and we just ran into him at a bar before and he's so dreamy. It's those yeah, big eyes. Fella, little fella. Tell me tell it's me about him. Just about Luke's size, height. Mm-hmm. It's just, those eyes, there's something about those eyes. He's super dreamy. He's funny, he's smart. He has all the check marks in the right spots. <laughs> 
But one thing I did notice. So, did you watch the um the, the sorry the special about Big Butt Wipe? Oh, Someone you're talking was, about the the all in yes. segment? No, I didn't see it. Oh, he has transition sunglasses. Oh no! So it's one on the negative. Oh no! Yeah. Well, I I would say Christy, tread lightly when you start criticizing Chris Hayes or Luke or Andrew or anybody in the TBTL universe. Don't even criticize me because as Luke called them, the fans, the tens, are the unsullied. (laughs) And if you're familiar with Game of Thrones, the unsullied are uh, eunuchs, correct? Is that? I think so, Jeremy. No, yes. Yeah, yes. Anyway, (laughs) They they they're not worried about they're not worried about anything except serving their master, and it really came out. And Luke was even talking about this. It really came out when Stuve uh, came on and did their performance review live on the air, and the stems went nuts. Yes, like like any criticism of Luke or Andrew from someone deemed outside the family, like Stuve was at the time. He's in now, but. That really, really ruffles some feathers. So let's be careful when we criticize Chris Hayes for his transition lenses, you know. Oh, maybe it's a medical thing. Maybe, maybe, maybe he needed to wear them because he was in the poo factory, too. I'll just give him that. I'll just pretend that that's what happened. Yeah, you know, whatever, whatever gets you to sleep at night. (laughs) Um, So Andrew got cat rolled again. This time by Bruce and Lake Stevens. Congratulations, Bruce. Way to go. Way to go, brother. Here, this cat roll badge. Good boy, Scout. Uh, and speaking of, of cat rolling, we, we're we going to have our good friend, Robert Pape, Bobby Pape, on next week. We're going to let him play his EPTL segment, his favorite of all time. And we'll get into it about cat rolling because I think the cat roll is out of the bag at this point. Uh, Pape is, he's master splinter of the, the cat roll. Um, I'm merely a mouthpiece. So You're the project manager, I like to call it. <laughs> yeah, we'll break the whole organization down. There are dozens of us. <laughs> we'll have an org chart ready for everyone. <laughs> um, let's see, what else on uh, what else on Thursday? They, the Air uh, Marshals. Oh, right. Uh, Christy. I know you have something to say about Air Marshals, but but let me let me get this in. Like Andrew was defending the TSA, which I can understand. I mean, there's an argument to be made that the uh, security theater or whatever they're calling it does act as some kind of a deterrent for people bringing explosives and firearms and stuff on planes. There's that argument to be made, but Andrew tried to extend that to Air Marshals and. I don't know about you, but I don't feel one iota safer for the fact that they're air marshals. No, I actually didn't. The only way it's on my radar is um, in Bridesmaids, there was an air marshal. Right. And then this story. Other than that, and I travel, I travel kind of a lot, a medium, yeah. medium amount, and I don't ever think about it. Yeah, the air marshal thing, I think, was... It was one of those things that, that came in after 9-11 that was like, ah, let's make everyone feel okay. Let's, mm-hmm. You know, we, we need a list of things that we can tell people we're doing. 
Right. And we've gotten to the point where, you know, we know what on that list is working and what isn't and what needs to be tweaked. These guys can go. There's no reason for them. I, I agree. And we don't even need to tell the the American people that they're gone away. No, no, no. Right, right. Just Cause stop you're it. Because the point of them is you don't know they're there. Right, right. That, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, now, I noticed in your notes, Christy, that mm-hmm. you you were asking how to apply for air marshal. Is this? Well, because they're, what was it? Wheels up, rings off. They get to go to exotic locations. They bump people off of flights. They're flying first class. They get to expense everything. It's like the best, it's everything good. This, but seeing this in your notes just struck me as something that might be hurtful to Jeremy. <laughs> isn't it, isn't it like a, in a different zip code, it's not cheating area code? I don't know. Hmm. I don't go by that. I don't go City, by that. City, state? I don't. No, no. Zip oh. code. That's what I go by. Zip code. Yo, I have a zip. There's two different zip codes in the city I live in. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> Friday, episode 1826. Smell no evil. All right. Uh, before we talk about Bicycle Guy, uh, let's go to, to the back half of the show and talk about Phyllis Fletcher who is a, a friend of mine who I've actually never met. I'm a friend with her on Facebook, and I can't believe we've never met in person because we have so many friends in common. She worked at KUO, KUOW for a long time, and my friend Bill worked there. Luke used to work there. But uh, she couldn't be a more delightful person. And she came on. I guess she wrote some notes to Luke and Andrew about uh, about the butt wipe issue, and they brought her on to – kind of clarify everything, put the issue to bed, and it did result in a change in the in the McFrizz household, which I'll talk about in a minute. But okay. Christy, what was your impression of Phyllis and the talk? She was delightful. I, I really liked her. She was hilarious. Um, she was calling Andrew out on being squirmy about uh, the poo bucket, the poo can, <laughs> as, as he called it. I just, I loved it. Well, uh, gosh, Emily and I were at Babies R Us at about four o'clock today, even though we're not planning on having no babies. And we picked up uh, two of those poo buckets. Okay. One for each bathroom. And, and this is not me. Uh, you know, in an emergency, yes, I will use one of those things. But as you know, Christy, and as you can probably respect, because I know you love cheese, I'm on a mostly cheese diet. So, Ghosties are not uncommon. Yeah, so I was, you, there's either a lot of poo or none at all. There's <laughs> only only those two spectrums. Right, right. So this is not this is not anything that that I had a real need for, but there was a household need for it. And you know, we've put them in the bathrooms, and the one thing I've noticed is our, our bathrooms are really small, and having one of those buckets is. I don't know. I, I I can't even get my feet around the toilet in one of the <laughs> in one of the bathrooms. So I don't know if it's going to work out. I may be back at Baby's RS returning this stuff tomorrow, assuming nothing bad has happened inside of those pails tonight. <laughs> I just think, and you know, I I love Andrew, and I don't like to criticize him. Um, but someone that has cats in a cat litter box inside their house has no room to talk about a poo bucket. Right. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. And I don't know. I, I'm, as everyone knows, I'm very uncomfortable with criticizing Andrew. 
So I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna lay off that. But the other thing they talked about on Friday was there were there was a clip I think put out by the Stranger in Seattle, which is the alt newspaper weekly, of a uh, bicyclist who had a confrontation with a woman who had parked across the bicycle lane. I guess in some of these new lanes in Seattle and other places, you're supposed to park your car and then there's a bike lane and then the sidewalk and she had parked, um, you know, straddling the, the mm-hmm. bike lane. And it was, I don't know, I, it was a pretty typical, I mean, from my experiences in Austin, pretty typical confrontation between bicyclist and motorist in that the bicyclist starts out at an 11 in their stridency mm-hmm. and, the, and the motorist starts out at a 9.7 on their defensiveness. <laughs> so it's not going to end well. Uh, Christy, give me your feelings on, on that tape and on bicyclists in general. Um, I thought he, okay, if I were getting out of a car and there was a, a man standing there instantly asking me questions in kind of an aggressive tone, probably wearing really weird tight shorts, I would also be on the defense just as a woman. Yep. Because he came up to the car. Is this your car? Um, on the no, other hand, I just have keys to it and happen to be driving away in it. No you dipshit. You saw me just get out of it. Okay. Um, so I think that she didn't necessarily handle it differently than I would. I mean, I'm not that aggressive. So I probably, Oh, I, I would have just said, Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. And, and driven away and been so embarrassed that I'd never drove down that street again. Yeah. But I understand where she came from and instantly being on the defense just as a safety issue. Right. And he needed to just move along. Yeah, yeah. You made your douche point. Yes. Just just move along. You yeah. know, she, you, you told her it was wrong and... She won't do it again. Yeah, exactly. She's probably never going to do that again because that's... No one wants to... Even if you think... Even if you're, you know, think you're on the side of the righteous, mm-hmm. you know, who, who wants to deal with that guy ever right. again? And the ticket and being towed. I mean, in Seattle, they're pretty quick to tow. So her car probably wouldn't have even lasted an hour there. Yeah. It would have been booted and gone. We, in, in Austin, we get a lot of those, uh, I don't even, is it, are they called bicycle gangs or is it like a bicycle hotspot or whatever, where they all get together and they just tear around and try to piss everyone off. I mean, we get that here in Austin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Quite a bit. And, and yeah, it's it's kind of like the, when the protesters stop the traffic on the freeway. It's like, uh, yeah, I see you, and now I hate you. Yeah, exactly. Now your <laughs> life's in danger. <laughs> I I have complicated feelings about this because I bikes commuting slows things down, but that's also one less car, and we have such terrible traffic. This week yeah. in traffic in Seattle has been the worst ever. It's it was just horrific. People were taking three and four hours to go 15 miles. I mean, it was, it was terrible. So that's one less car on the road. But I travel, I drive to Woodenville every day and it's a high bike because it's high bike area because there's a, there's a big trail and they're on the road and they're going too slow. They can't keep up on this 40 mile per hour road. And they're, they're riding in, in the street so yeah, because I, like you're talking about 522, and yes. there it's just a two lane road, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, it's ridiculous. So you can't go around. 
they're holding up the cars or piled up behind them. Um, I do like, I mean, because it's better for the environment and it's one less car on the road. And I, I really think that they should be able to do it. But I also think that maybe bikers need to get, go through uh, the same kind of driver's ed type situation because mm-hmm. they don't know the signals. A lot of them don't know signals. They don't know how to, how to ride on, on the street and maybe even get uh, bikes licensed. I don't know yeah. what the solution is. I think if if you ever are walking to the counter at the bike shop or the sports the sporting goods store with more than a hundred dollars worth of gear, you should have to take a test. <laughs> I agree. So I think that wraps up the weekend review. So uh, what's next? Um, next we have a fabulous guest, Mike Drew McFrizz Frizzell. Welcome. Oh. He sounds like a douchebag. <laughs> Welcome on the show. All right. All right. Well, I'm I'm happy to be here, and I'm very sorry for the audio problems we're having tonight. I can't seem to get my microphone hooked up, and I I blame Jeremy. <laughs> I think you might be a jinx. Yeah, it's <laughs> very possible. So, do you prefer to go by Mike or Drew? Um, I I prefer to go by Mike, but uh, Drew was a um, something that grew out of my time as a fugitive when I was on the run from the cops, I was uh, operating under the name Andrew Michaels. And when I would talk to the folks at the um, sports radio station in San Diego, I was Drew in San Diego. And eventually that sort of morphed into Drew McFrizz because McFrizz was a, a long ago nickname because it, as as everyone knows, there there are millions of people named Mike. So you have to you have to go by something else. Okay, so let's start in. Um what was the first episode you listened to? That's tough because the 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 segment that I'm going to play for you guys tonight is actually the first one that I remember. I I, I dipped in about a week in after the radio show started and I can't honestly remember but it was at least compelling enough to keep me going. So how did you get introduced to it? Um, my friend Bill Radke, we talked about earlier, my fraternity brother, Bill, <laughs> he had a show on KUOW, which is the public radio station in Seattle called Rewind. And he had some people, some very funny people working for him. John Moe, who has the show Wits now and is on the Infinite Guest Network, and Luke Burbank, who, you know, obviously everyone knows who he is. Mm-hmm. So he had these guys on working for him. They were writing for him. They were performing for him on the show. Rewind was a great fucking show. It was like a half-hour show weekly that lasted for a year or two. And I was in prison at the time that uh, Rewind started, and I was sending letters to Bill. I had probably eight, nine, ten, somewhere in there amount of people that I corresponded with regularly through letters, and one of them was Bill. And Bill would read the letters to Luke and John and the other guys on the staff because he thought they were funny. Um, and Bill, you know, he's a very nice fella, and he just always wants to be inclusive. And he, I guess he had told Luke, like, you know, Luke was laughing about the stuff I was writing and like, oh, yeah, you guys should meet someday. You guys should should get to know each other. And 
all that kind of passed and I got out and I was out for maybe a year. It was like 1999, 2000, somewhere in there. And I forget who organized it, but there was a group outing to a Mariners game. And it was one of those things where you can buy a section in center field and everyone just pays like three, four or $5, whatever for a ticket. And you have this block of seats and all of your friends can sit together. It may have been something Bill organized, but anyway, Bill always had it in mind that he was going to like set us up as friends, you know? Um, and he didn't like actually, you know, do anything creepy, but we were at the game and I didn't know who Luke was. He had told Luke about me. I didn't know who Luke was. And I was sitting in a row behind Luke and some other people and they were making jokes and I was making jokes in my row. And then Luke and I kind of started making jokes with each other and it kind of clicked. Right. So we halfway made friends at that game. I figured out who he was. He knew who I was. But then like a few years would pass and the show, the Luke show started 2008 and my friend Dave in LA sent me an email and said, did you know that uh, Bill's uh, friend Luke Burbank has a show on in Seattle? And I said, no. And I tuned it in. I started listening and we'll go into a little bit later, you know, when, when my listening was completely cemented. But uh, I think I started about through two or three months, at least, into the show. I started commenting on the, the MyNorthwest.com site, which is the the digital arm of Cairo, K-I-R-O radio in Seattle. And I may have sent an email or something, but Luke figured, because my handle was Drew McFrizz, and he just put it together. And he was talking on the air when I was like, I, I wonder if I know this guy. I think I know this guy. I think I sent him an email that night. I said, yeah, you do know this guy. It's me. And uh, I think we went out to lunch or something the next week. And we were talking a lot about, you know, his radio career and what was going on. And like later on, I think it might have been a year in after I'd been on the show. I'd gone in. I'd done some stuff. And it was way before doing my interviews about my bank robbery days. But uh, he he was seeing the handwriting on the wall that you know wasn't going to last much longer on the radio. But we were we were talking about how he had built something that could sail. He had listenership all over the country, all over the world that was stronger than his listenership in Seattle, and it was something that he could take to another venue. And at that time, podcasts were just starting to take off. So we were talking about how PBTL is portable and how when he got fired, he was going to move the whole thing over to the podcast side. So, you know, we were talking about that and he was thinking about that a long time before it actually happened. So that when the show was canceled, um, it wasn't as sad for, I don't think it was as sad for Luke as it was for the listeners because he had a vision. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of my history with Luke. And, and, and now whenever I'm in town, we get together and it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, you know, I, I don't know. Next question. Um, when was the first time you were on? What was your bit or interview? I don't remember the first time that I was on the air talking. I remember the first time that I had any significant contribution was when they were planning the TVTL cult. Okay. Uh, and I was going to play the role as uh, or of a the shadow, the leader's 
shadow. Mm-hmm. In case anything happened to him, I would just, you know, I would step in like Dick, Dick Cheney and just right. put the smack down or whatever. <clears throat> so I sent an email about that and he read it and it was, it was long and it talked about uh, what roles everyone was going to have, what we're going to wear, all this stuff. And, you know, it was, it really, it got people like intrigued because we were, we knew that, that something special was happening. And so we were like expounding it into some dream world where we could all go off together. And who knows, someday that, that might happen. I like that. Um, and what was the first event that you attended? First event I attended was the party at the nightlight, which okay. I forget what they were celebrating, maybe six months, three months, something like that. And I brought gifts for everyone on the show. Uh, for the Grizza, I brought her a set of truck nuts because they had been talking about that on the air. So I went to a, I went to a, um, a truck accessory store in Kent and bought some truck nuts and wrapped those up and gave them to Jamie, who was the intern at the time. For Sean, I gave him a plastic tugboat um, called the SS Micturation because he was having trouble at the public urinal and someone had written him some advice that says, just give it a quick tug that will help you micturate, which is urinate. And so I I gave him a tugboat, said SS micturation. I gave Jen a bottle of wine. Um, I I wasn't Chateau Saint-Michel. It was Mondavi or something that she had mentioned on the air that she was into. And then I gave Luke a set of boxing gloves autographed by Kelly, the white ghost. No, sorry. Kelly, the ghost Catholic, obviously ghost, you know, white goes without saying he was a phenomenal white boxer who would soon after that get his ass kicked and return to obscurity. But at the time it was kind of a get. So I gave him those boxing gloves and he's, he's worn them in some publicity photos. Yeah, I remember that. Something since then. So I brought those gifts and that was the first event that I went to. And I've been to a lot of events. I wouldn't say that I've been to, you know, uh, most of them, but, mm-hmm. but I've been to probably about half the events. Um, now, a little backstory is that on My Northwest, you talked about a little bit, on My Northwest, on the blog, it was very active, almost like a chat room. And... That's where people would interact more than Facebook, and then Facebook became a big thing, and then that's when isn't isn't that where people would do it, or was it all in my northwest um the The chat room was pretty active early. I mean there were some fits and starts with things like Ustream and other mm-hmm. deals where you could watch a show live and and interact but where a lot of the early stuff went down was on my Northwest, and that's kind of where I got to know my wife. Emily, uh, she, her handle was emuli, like underscore emuli. And she had a lot of funny things to say. And I always enjoyed her comments and, and stuff like that. And like, I knew, I knew that I had to get with her when she, she got off a good line and she said, suck it, Drew and Redmond. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh, it's on. <laughs> You'll be mine. <laughs> so then that's how you met her. Yeah. Yeah. And then when did you meet? So she lived in Austin at the time and you lived yeah. in Redmond. 
So then yeah. how did this become that you are now married? Well, she she was going to take a vacation up in Seattle and it coincided with the, the first book club at uh, the wine bar in Columbia City. And, and what was the first book? It uh, was the, the Something Something Adventures of Oscar Wow. I can't remember the exact title, okay. but but it was a um, it was a book about a guy that grew up in the Dominican Republic, and it was a really good book. But uh, I think we were we were chatting on my Northwest, and I was like, "Well, I'm on the fence about this book club," or someone brought it out of me that I wasn't too sure about it. And Emily said, "Well, Amazon sent me two copies of the book. Do you want it? Do you want one?" I said, "Yeah, hell yeah!" And she sent it to me. She mailed it to me. And I think right about then she, she'd gotten on Facebook. I think I'd gotten on Facebook and she sent me this book. And then I was looking her up to like maybe chat with her or whatever. And I was like, yeah, I could get behind this. You know, she's already shit talking me online. She's pretty. Um, she's smart. So I decided, well, I'm going to read the book and I'm going to go to the book club. So I recruit Barb, my friend Barb into the book club, just so, you know, I'll have a, uh, a wingman when I go to the book club mm-hmm. and I, and I had all kinds of hopes of how it's going to you know, charm Emily and it was going to be you know, fantastic. And we would, we'd spend some time together and you know, it was going to be great. Anyway, we met at the book club. She has little or no memory of it. She has misidentified whatever I was wearing and what I looked like about. You were wearing cargo times. shorts, right? No, I was not. But isn't that what she thought? <laughs> yeah, she thought I was wearing a denim vest, <laughs> uh, some cargo shorts. I don't know who this person was, but I dressed up decently. She now makes fun of the outfit I actually wore, which you know she doesn't disappoint in the making fun of me department. Didn't she also say she thought you were a little special? Yeah, I think that was her impression almost until the time we were married. <laughs> until last week, she was down. Because I'm kind, of a, I'm kind of a big, dumb-looking guy, you know? And so she just figured there's nothing going on upstairs. So uh, I'll let her think that. It's good for me. Um, so we, uh, I, I met her, and then I, I think I, I was disappointed in how things turned out, but I didn't want to be completely deterred. So I think I called her the next day or sent her a Facebook message that night asking if she wanted to go around the city and, you know, see some TBTL sites or whatever, because she was a huge fan. And she claimed that she had to work and she does work remotely. Mm-hmm. She claimed that she had to work and she was flattered by the offer or whatever, blah, blah, blah. So that didn't work. Uh, what eventually happened is I think I sent her the file. I was writing a book at the time, trying to write a book about my experiences as a bank robber and all that. And I sent her the file and she, I think, I think she read it and I just got an email back to call me. Hmm. So I called her and we talked about how much she hated the book, but she ended up liking me. And it uh, it went from there. Yeah, I'm pretty charming on the phone. So. I so my question to you is, had your interviews? Have you ha- had you had your interviews before the book club? <clears throat> uh, no, the interviews didn't happen until like 2009. The book club was in June of 2008. Okay. 
did she, did Luke and Jen vouch for you? Like, oh, this guy's cool. Oh no. Oh no. Okay. No. Nobody vouched for me. Um, although they would have right. had they been asked, but but Emily's very independent girl. Okay. So she wouldn't ask for their advice. Um, now I'm into listener questions. Okay. When will we hear from Emily? Hmm. That's interesting because a lot of people think she's deceased. <laughs> That's the running joke on the Takedown podcast is that I've killed Emily. But she has appeared on that show two times in actuality and, and another time with me trying to do her voice in order to prove she was alive. <laughs> but but uh, I don't know. I mean, you can hear from her right now. Go friend her. She'll talk to you. <laughs> She's nice. And tell I'm a terrible person. Then she has to block me. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's already happened a couple times. Right, so that's why the rumor is. <laughs> what do you think she would ever come on the show and tell her side of meeting you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. She would do that. She would do that because we, we disagree about a lot of this stuff. Okay. Yeah, I'd love to hear her side. Yeah. Okay. So here's some more. Um, why are you still listening? What keeps you? Uh, well, after my blog was wrested from me by <laughs> internet guests, I, you know, I had to take a good long look in the mirror and after I was done being disgusted at what I saw I thought why are you still listening but they're my friends mm -hmm. you know they, and, and, and even if I didn't know them even if Andrew hadn't been at my wedding and even if I didn't know Luke um, I would still be listening because I count them as friends and I know that sounds crazy and if we did a role play you'd probably commit me <laughs> but they're, they're friends and so are a lot of the tens Oh, definitely. And oh, you you just made mention of it. Um, talk to tell tell the new listeners about your wedding. Oh yeah, my wedding was done at a live show on July tenth, two thousand ten, at the Columbia City Theater, um, not too far from the wine bar where Emily first ignored me. <laughs> and how did that even come about? I don't know that story. Uh, there they were putting together these plans for the live show. It was like early April, and Jen was starting to talk about the live show. And I don't remember whether it was Jen or me or Emily, but I mean, we were already engaged. We'd mm -hmm. been engaged for a while and I was living in Austin and, you know, talk about a great chance to go back and visit Seattle. How about, uh, how about July? Fucking great. <laughs> right. right. So my birthday is July 9th. So there was another live show on July 9th. So it was going to be us going to that live show on July 9th on my birthday and then getting married a surprise wedding um, at the end of the show, live show on, on the next day. And I think we all talked each other into it. And then I think we managed to kind of pull off a surprise. Christy, you were there. What, did you think a wedding was going to happen? Because what happened was we went up and, and, you know, it was like, oh, well, Luke's just bringing us on to chat. And then I took off my hoodie and I had a, uh, tuxedo shirt on underneath and Emily had some sort of um, hoodie on too and she took it off and was wearing a dress and then Luke married us on stage but uh, at what point Christy did you figure that whole thing out? I think when you took off your hoodies. Really? Yeah I, I think you guys you did it. I also maybe was a little teeny that night um, <laughs> so my judgment might not have been the best but I was very, I was, I just thought the surprise was you guys being there. Right, right. Which would have been a little lame, but, you know, everyone's a little drunk. So, <laughs> but yeah, the, the wedding thing, the Lonely Forest was there. It was great. Was, they're no longer a band, but 
Free uh, wedding? Uh, Come on. Two guys. Yeah, two guys from Lonely Forest played, uh, I think, at the time of my life. And they played another song. I mean, it was just really cool. And having the night before, we, we you know. Uh, you had to hide, right? <laughs> yeah, we, we kind of did. But um, the night before, uh, Sir Mix-a-Lot was on. And there were, I mean, it was such a great show the night before. And we got really drunk and had a great time. And then the next night when we were having our wedding, it was less of a good time because we were nervous. Mm -hmm. But then when it was over and all all y'all tens were coming up and congratulating us, it was really special. It was really touching. Yeah, it was a perfect wedding for you. Did you ever wonder, like, maybe Emily won't be okay with me wearing a tuxedo T-shirt and maybe she wants something bigger <laughs> and more special? No, we talked the whole thing okay. through. There, there's no way, there's no way this was going to be strong on her. Yeah, I mean, because I thought it was perfect, especially how you met. I, it was the perfect way. Oh, that's nice, nice of you to say. It was. Yeah, I, I think it worked out really well too, and I, and I think it was a good experience, not only for us but for the people that were were there. Kind of tied the whole weekend together. Yes. Okay. The next question: um, Isn't eating that much cheese? just as dangerous as living as a fugitive? <laughs> uh, long term, yeah. <laughs> yeah, probably. Well, and thinking, uh, I was talking about this on Takedown last night. Living as a fugitive, it's, it's not easy, but there is some dignity in actually being a fugitive who no one's actually chasing. Well, I, I think... I think what, where most criminals go wrong is they actually run from the cops physically. Mm -hmm. I, I went on the run before they came looking for me. So I was able to preserve some sort of fugitive dignity, as it were. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But given the choices, I would rather just sit here and eat cheese than go on the run again. <laughs> and that's, that's another question is you were a regular contributor to a sports radio station during the time talked a little bit about that Andrew Michaels right. and then all of a sudden you get you turn yourself in and admit that you are this bank robber did they ever know that that happened or did you just disappear well what happened was I was developing a relationship with these guys that hosted the night show on XTRA Sports 690 in LA and San Diego and I was coming on regularly and I had gone in because one of the guys was on vacation I went in to um, guest host so I guest hosted one night and it just it made me more depressed than ever because I was thinking well you know they called me into guest host they love all the comedy and all the shit that I'm doing this might turn into something because I'd met the program director he liked me and so it just seemed like a couple short steps from maybe something was going to happen but I knew it couldn't happen because right. eventually someone was going to recognize my voice and Jig was up. So the night after I guest hosted, I decided to get clean and turn myself in. And that was tough. Mm -hmm. But, <laughs> but uh, man, I wasn't ready for this one, Christy. <laughs> uh, but it, it, it was the impetus for me to, to turn myself in. And I don't know. So those guys, I didn't tell them. And I'm, I'm in jail and it, takes a while and I finally write him a letter and I, I think I sent him a newspaper clip 
just a very, you know, short thing from the Seattle Times that said who I was and what I was being held for. And I just said, hey, you know, I committed some crimes against the United States and now I'm going to have to serve some time. And I, I did a couple bits from the prison phones, mm -hmm. but it wasn't ideal. So I gave that up pretty fast. But I'm still friends with one of those guys. I'm still pretty close friends with one of those guys that hosted that show. And uh, we, you know, it, it's still, he, he can't find any of the old tapes because this was like, 1993 and he can only find a few things so well, there's not much evidence of what actually happened but uh, we've talked back and forth about doing a documentary the problem is just getting enough um because when you do a doc you have to have stuff for people to look at stuff for right. people to listen to but we're just like one or two years before everything gets archived so yeah that would be interesting to have at least him on the documentary talking about your time on there Oh yeah, yeah. His name is Rick Schwartz, and he occasionally still hosts uh, in on on the sports radio ESPN LA. And he, um, for many years, he was a host on Extra, uh, which was the TV, the celebrity TV show, kind of like your Entertainment Tonight, but mm -hmm. different different syndication. Um, let's see. Uh, this might be a question you don't want to get into now, or it's a longer topic. But how does such a goddamn nice guy really become a felon? <laughs> <laughs> uh, pretty easy. Uh, Painkillers. Mm -hmm. Addiction is nasty, right? Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I don't know. I, I was not a nice guy back then. I mean, I could fake it, but I wasn't a nice guy. I had to get humbled by life um, in order to actually become a nice person. So thank you, life. Yeah. I wanted to put up your episodes on our webpage just for easy access. But then we've okay. gotten a couple people saying that's their favorite. So I'm kind of torn of what to do. Hmm. Yeah. I'd say just go ahead and put it up and, and then, you know, if we ever get someone on to actually talk about it, we'll just put it up again. It's just can't hurt. So those are all the questions I have for you, except for this one that will lead into your clip is what episode sealed the deal okay so the episode that i've chosen was the deal sealer for me and it happened just a couple months into the show i'd been listening for a few weeks and they they had someone on who well let's let uh steven uh introduce the clip and then we'll talk about it afterwards Hi, my name is Stephen Gardner. I'm from Silverdale, which is, many, as many of you remember, the home of Luke's parents and a particular TJ Maxx store. The TBTL episode that's one of my favorites happened within the first few months after the show started on Cairo. What I had liked about the show uh, early on was the conversational tone. Um, even though Jen did bring a, a structure to the show, I appreciated then, and I, and I still appreciate now, the amount of storytelling that kind of happens casually and almost accidentally on TVTL. And honestly, even though Luke brings reporting experience to the show, in a way, it was a lack of preparation that made this one episode so powerful because it seemed like Luke and Jen and Sean were every bit as surprised by what happened as I was. Uh, the three of them interviewed a guy who had a huge collection of Mr. T stuff. And, and the guy had met Mr. T at an autograph signing 
but the TBTL show started off with you know the TBTL players doing this mock recreation of an episode of the A Team. And so going into that episode and, and the interview, the whole thing seemed like it was going to be just for laughs. But then it turned, and the story got kind of emotional. And one of the best things about it was that, uh, as I said before, it seemed like Luke and Jen and Sean were every bit as surprised by that turn as I was. And I was driving around that night and remember sitting in my car in, the, in a parking lot of the Fred Meyer in East Bremerton, and I, and I wouldn't get out of the car until the segment was over. And, and I got a little teary-eyed hearing that story. And I'm a sucker for good storytelling myself, and if you don't mind me plugging my own podcast. And this reporter thinks it's about time. It's called Story Night, and you can hear it on iTunes and storynight.org. This thing didn't end up as just this exploration into some guy's quirky and odd collection. It was a great story. And like a lot of great stories, it happened completely in, or, or it was exposed completely by accident. Um, this quirky story got to a really deep place. Um, one question I have is on, uh, as a final note. Toward the end of the segment, they made a promise to the guy to try to do something for him. And I never heard whether they made it happen. So if you, Christy or Mike, have a way of getting to that answer, I'd sure love to know about it. That segment, I remember where I was when I was listening to it. At the time, the company I was working for, we were opening up restaurants in Portland. And I was doing a lot of driving back and forth between Redmond and Portland two or three times a week. And the the trips home were often accompanied by TVTL. And I remember that the first hour of that show, they were talking about the Twin Teepees and how it disappeared so quickly. And this was a restaurant that was like two giant teepees that sat along Aurora Avenue in Seattle. And it got taken down really fast. And I I was very interested in that because I played softball for the Twin Teepees for many, many years and really didn't like the people that ran it. Um, you know, you, you, got, you got 13 guys that come in from from softball, from playing at Green Lake, and you can't give them any discount on a beer. Hmm. You can't give them 10% off their food. So anyway, didn't like It's those kind people. of like the Azteca, right? <laughs> right, right, right. Like how much money do I fucking have to spend in here? To to get, get like a free nachos. Right, <laughs> something. So, so uh, I was listening to that very intently. It didn't affect, you know, as much as the, the 8 o'clock hour would. But then the 8 o'clock hour came on, and they had someone on who was a Mr. T collector. Like, he collected memorabilia. And, you know, obviously, y'all just heard that. But it took a turn, and I was driving through Kent, and it was all light. And then I got up to, like, the, the, the 405 interchange, and that's when the guy dropped the bomb that, Mr. T was the only reason that he coming from a long line line of drug addicts and drug dealers had never used drugs. And it was very affecting. And to me, um, what, what touched was I thought about my personal history and my history with drugs and no one, I'd never, you know, I was the youngest of three and, you know, by far. So, you know, there were no, real conversation with my parents about drugs or sex or anything like that. And what occurred to me when I heard him say that about what Mr. T and, you know, the say no to drugs program and all that stuff that we joke about, you know, if we lived through that era, but he 
he had one person in his life telling him not to do drugs, and that was Mr. T. I didn't have anyone. Mm -hmm. And I thought about what if anyone is, you know, either through the media or just someone who put their arm on my shoulder and said, go do this shit. It'll fuck you up. I thought, you know, I, I was jealous of that guy in that moment. So that's how it affected me. It made me tear up then. I'm tearing up now. Oh, yeah. When I when I first heard it, I teared up. But then I just re-listened to it this week when you sent it. And when his voice caught a little bit, I was done for. <laughs> yeah. When he's like, my parents were drug dealers. And he was the only person in my life that ever told me to stay in school. And now I'm a college professor. And don't do drugs. And I never have done drugs. Uh, that put me over the edge. Yeah. And it, I... Tonight, the clouds are forming over my head. There's a little rain on my face. <laughs> it's raining on my face. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was really affecting. And um, someone asked, though, like, well, yeah, well, Stephen just asked, did they ever follow up on the Mr. T thing? And from what I remember, they tried pretty hard, and they 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 weren't able to get Mr. T on. I, 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 the thing is, I can't criticize them for that because I've never heard him on anything right. anywhere. So it's well, now like, except his reality show now. Right. Well, yeah. If, if someone is waving a check in front of you, of course, yeah. you're going to appear on that. But, but yeah, he's not a guy who's been out there pimping. Um, so, you know, I, I don't think, I mean, I'll ask Luke, but I don't think anything came of it just because he didn't do that kind of stuff. Right. And uh, who knows if the request ever got to the guy because, you know, he's just, he's Mr. T, you know, you, you're, you're not like, really in touch with everyone when you have all the gold chains and the bear chest mm -hmm. and all that stuff. You're, you're out there doing Mr. T things and those aren't like being connected. And just, just as a segment, why it matters, both of us have had that as our favorite and that's a running trend in coming in from all these submissions. It was a perfect segment. They started off with the TVTL players. They had this great guest who, I mean, if you just read it, like why it matters, Mr. T, I would skip it. Yeah. Because he didn't matter to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and Chrissy, that's that's an important thing to say too because I think a lot of people skip the post Super Bowl show mm -hmm. um, just because like oh, I'm not going to listen to that because yeah. I'm sad about the Super Bowl. But it was really cathartic to listen to those guys just talk to their feelings about it, and I couldn't wait to hear it. You know, and not you know not just because post game analysis or whatever. Like Luke knows a lot about football. Andrew doesn't know very much. So, you know, I'm not going here for sports knowledge. I'm going here for like real, like feelings and, mm -hmm. you know, our emotions and what we went through. And, and so, Hey dummies, if you haven't listened to that post Super Bowl show, go back. Do it. It's time. Yeah. Stop being a baby and go listen to it. This is TBTL with Luke Burbank on News Talk 710 Cairo. And now, the TBTL players. Interior. Hannibal and B.A. break in P.A.'s house or Pa's house and find the broken chair and ropes. Looks like Modoc escaped. We gotta find him, Hannibal. Colonel! Yeah, Murdoch escaped all right. Sound of sirens. Oh, we've got company. Decker! 
Someone must have spotted us driving down this road. Let's get out of here. Uh, they run back to the van and drive past Decker. Decker fires at them, and the clips have gone aerial. Poor old Murdoch, out there all alone, being chased by those bounty hunters. If they do anything to him... B.A., I've never heard you so concerned about Murdoch. I'm not concerned. It's just that that crazy fool can't help himself. I think we're seeing a whole other side to Mr. Baracus here. You ain't seeing nothing. Now let's get Murdoch. Hey, he can't tell us. He can't call us on this phone. One of Decca's rounds must have taken the aerial out. Go to the contingency plan, face. Exterior, plane. Hannibal, B.A. and Judy climb out. Well, we gotta look on the bright side. We don't have to make this one look like a plane crash. Oh, Hannibal, this is terrible, man. The plane cut a path that even blind people can follow. Man, those federales gonna be in us in a hot second. Yeah, you're probably right. Get the weapons out. I'll be back in a minute. Wait a minute, man. Where you going? Well, I gotta go back to the old plane site and tell Face and Murdoch we were where we are. But I gotta stay out of sight. How you gonna do that, man? Well, I decided the most realistic way is to use my duck call. Oh, Hannibal... Not the call, especially what happened to us last time. What happened last time? B.A., this time, it will work. Wait, who's the black one, Hannibal or B.A.? Because I'm getting confused yeah. by our amazing Hannibal. <laughs> B.A. is black, Hannibal's the old guy. Oh. <laughs> I knew that. Okay. Okay, let's start with Judy. What happened last time? B.A., this time, it'll work. <laughs> Hannibal grins and waves his hands off. Uh, I take it Hannibal's duck call isn't very good. Good! It's perfect! That's the problem! The last time we used that duck call, some duck hunters from the area nearly had us for dinner. Disgusting being mistaken for ducks. Firefight ensues. Face and Murdoch scuffle for space behind the crates. Glad to see ya! Grab a gun! Hannibal, next time you decide to move, send out change of address cards. Murdoch and I almost bought the farm back there. You know we've got Federales headed this way. The team shoot back at the bad guys as the Federales arrive as well. Yeah, they arrived a little earlier. That's why we had to relocate. Okay, I'll go around back and see if I can find Corliss. Face, take my position. Hannibal heads around the plane into the trees. Face and Murdoch spring up from behind the crates to shoot at the bad guys. I'm out of ammo. B.A., hand me some clips. What? Clips, give me clips. B.A. keels over. You said the trigger word. You said eclipse. Judy! Oh, the TBTL players. <laughs> amazing, amazing thespians. Uh, of course, the, we brought them in and made sure they knew almost nothing about the racial makeup of the A-Team television program. Or the age, because Hannibal wasn't like a decrepit old man. That's all right. That's all right. You know what? The, what, the, what the TBTL players do is they take this stuff that's already kind of really well known, and they reinterpret it, they reimagine it, mm -hmm. and they put it back out there, and they say, this is a comment on the, on the artifice of the original programming. And I think they've really done that tonight. So good job, you guys, wow. TBTL players. Amazing, amazing work. Uh, we brought them in and had them do a little A-team for you because uh, it was just announced this week that Fox Studios has uh, signed up John Singleton to direct a feature film version of the A-team. 
and I, for one, could not be more excited. Uh, this is thrilling news. Uh, even though over at the uh, website defamer.com, which is a, a great sort of Hollywood entertainment blog, uh, they point out that uh, Mr. T is now probably too old to play B.A. Baracus in the movie. Although, I don't think that's true. I don't think he's aged a day. Yeah, black don't crack. <laughs> I know that as a white man. Well, and he still is like really built, you know? Yeah, I think he could still probably pull it off. Um, but the the defamer was saying that maybe a possible Mr. T fill-in would be Ice Cube. Because uh, Ice Cube was in Boys in the Hood, which John Singleton directed. Of course. Ice Cube could be maybe, I mean, I don't know. He could be an okay, he could be an okay B.A. Baracus. It would be no Mr. T, though. Right. I think they should get Mr. T. They also proposed, defamer proposed Alec Baldwin for Hannibal. I like that. That could really work. Mm-hmm. I'm sure he would love it when a plan comes together. <laughs> um, I can just hear him now. And uh, I don't know who else they've got put on. Now, Jen, we were going to come up with some ideas. Our nominee, our nominees for uh, these, uh, th- the people that could actually probably fill in as the new. Oh, Woody Harrelson. Defamer said maybe Woody Harrelson could be uh, Howlin Mad Murdoch. Mm-hmm. That would be awesome. Mm-hmm. Woody Harrelson could totally be Murdoch. Sean could be Murdoch, actually. <laughs> no one <laughs> mentioned Sean? Murdoch. He's the crazy the black, one? The black guy. <laughs> They're all black. <laughs> uh, anyway, so we're very excited that this movie uh, is now in the development stage, although I guess that's no, there's no guarantee it'll actually get made. But the, the, the wheels... We have a director signed on. The that's wheels seem to be turning, which is very exciting stuff. Um, so what we thought we'd do, though, is talk a little bit about the A-Team and actually why, why it mattered. Why it mattered, uh, it was a, a very, I would say, somewhat ridiculous television show of the 80s that anybody who's... Our age will could probably quote the entire song, you know, the, the opening credits song to you, and and uh, escaping from Los Angeles underground and all that, surviving as soldiers of fortune. Uh, it's somehow, even however cheesy it was, it is is become so iconic for a lot of us. Um, but maybe n- no one more than uh, a guy named Mike Essel, uh, who runs the blog MrTandMe.com, and he also has uh, Mike. Would you say it's the? Would you argue it's the world's largest Mr. T memorabilia collection? I wouldn't argue. It is the world. <laughs> oh, <laughs> excuse me. Con- c- consider me a fool in need of pitying, good sir. Um, I don't know if you were on the line, but did you hear? What we do is we bring in some of the greatest, the- uh, you know, theater and film actors of our time, and we have them reenact scenes. I don't know if you've heard the TBTL players doing uh, the A Team, but uh, it-, it was amazing, right? It was. I'm shocked that they didn't know the ethnicity of B.A. Baracus, though. Well, you know what? Sometimes you can sometimes you can learn too much about when there's a role that's become as famous as Murdoch and Hannibal and B.A., it's too easy to get caught up in how other people have done the role. So sometimes you want to make sure you don't know anything about it, including the ethnicity or age of any of the people. I understand. I understand. So you, you are uh, you're a big, big fan of Mr. T. Is it mostly as his B.A. Baracus character, or is it just all things T? Is it DC Cab as well? It's all things T. So all the way down to when he starred as Aladdin, we have stuff from that. He was on an, uh, like a a play in England where he played a genie. So we have stuff for that all the way through Rocky Three, DC Cab, Penitentiary, like everything he's ever been in. Uh, did we, this, what would you say your first awareness of him came through the A-Team? No, I, I'm from Philadelphia, so oh. my first awareness came from Rocky Three. Oh, okay. So I've been, you know, a, a fan since Rocky Three. So he got picked up right after Rocky Three to be on the A-Team. And, and, like, what's your most valuable Mr. T thing you have? 
money-wise, the most valuable thing is there was a comic book in the early 90s called Mr. T and the T-Force, and they did paintings for the covers of that comic book, and I have, I guess, six of the original cover paintings, and those cost anywhere between 500 to $2,000. Wow. Where did you pick those up at? eBay. Everything I have is from eBay, pretty much. And, and then the other thing, we, I collect with a friend, named uh, his name's Greg Rivera, and we met on eBay. And his number one thing is a hand-carved wooden prototype for what eventually became the six-inch-tall Mr. T action figure. So that's one of a kind. I don't. He he got it at a specialty store, and I don't even know how much he paid for it. Have you met Mr. T? Yeah, one time. I I met him at an autograph signing at Planet Hollywood. I'm sorry you had to go to Planet Hollywood for that. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm even more sorry that I had to get Mary Lou Retton's autograph first. <laughs> <laughs> was it like Stars of the... Was it called Relevant in the 80s autograph night? <laughs> there, there was a campaign from Lipton Noodles, <laughs> and they were in the commercial along with a uh, uh, really tan guy, George... Uh, oh, George Hamilton. Yes, but him and Mr. T and Mary Lou Retton, but he wasn't... He wasn't there. It was just Mr. T and Mary Lou Retton signing autographs. Did you get her autograph because you just felt like it would be kind of impolite not to? No, believe it or not, they made me. <laughs> what do you mean? They said if you – it was like a package deal? You basically had to walk in a line, and then the first person in the line was Mary Lou Retton, and the last person was Mr. T. Was he nice I'm to you? I'm telling you, there was nobody there to see Mary Lou Retton. <laughs> was Mr. No, T cool? Oh, yeah, he was great. I mean, I only – I only got to, you know, be there for like two minutes or something, but he was really friendly and really nice, and he was seemed like he was being really friendly to everybody. So, yeah, it was good. How did you, did you try to, did you try to explain to him the, just the volume of Mr. T stuff you have? Well, I'm, funny you ask that, because I'm, I guess we're, me and Greg are both really sensitive. We, that would be the last place we'd want to talk to him, because we'd come off as absolutely crazy, I think. So he doesn't even know about Mr. T and me? No, no, he does. There was an article written about us in the Washington Post, I guess uh, about two years ago. That rag? <laughs> yeah, you may have heard of it. Um, it was like a three-page article, and we were on the, in the, on the cover of the style section. So it was a pretty big piece, but what was great about it was they interviewed Mr. T about us. Oh, wow. What did he say? Yeah. He just said he was, he was happy that we received his message and that he couldn't wait to tell his mother about us. That you received his message. what Like, like of goodwill? Well, there, this is a funny story, but the reason I'm into Mr. T so much is that when I was a kid, my parents were like, could best be described as minor league drug dealers. <laughs> <laughs> they were trying that's to, how they could they were trying be to, described. They were trying to go pro, but they just their <laughs> fastball was about five miles an hour short. A little weed out the front door is maybe not that bad, but right. still pretty bad. Um, so... Mr. T was literally the only adult in my life telling me not to do drugs. And I've never done drugs as a result. That is, wow. am that's amazing. Yeah. And the, uh, the joke I make sort of endlessly is that Mr. T's big thing was don't do drugs and stay in school. And I'm a college professor and I've never done drugs in my life. So I'm um, basically my whole life is school. And, and, and you really attribute that to being a little kid and watching TV and seeing Mr. T say that stuff. I, I would say the seeds, you know, were planted then, but, you know, other stuff in my life, of course, led me to be a professor. But Do you remember the first time as a kid you became aware of Mr. T? 
Well, I mean, seeing him in Rocky Three was the first time I became aware, but I didn't become obsessed until he did the Say No to Drugs campaign with Nancy Reagan. <laughs> what, was, what was it about? Was it just the incongruity of Mr. T and Nancy Reagan that somehow did something for you? Well, they did a lot during that tour, that Say No to Drugs tour. He would visit hospitals, and he would talk to kids. And really, it was just about how tough he was on the A-team and in Rocky. But then you would see him with these kids, and he would bring presents to the hospitals, and he would sit with the kids. And for a little while there on TV, he was like, I'm just like real, this, I guess, this champion for kids. And at the time, I was a kid who, I, you know, kind of needed a champion. It It is weird how when you're a kid and there's some guy who's really tough, but then you find out that he's actually kind of nice, you really can latch on to that, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, me for sure. Greg, the other guy I collect with, he's more of a, like, he's a collector's collector, you know? He uh -huh. has, like, tons of collections. He actually collects collectors, which is <laughs> not legal in certain states. <laughs> <laughs> like, for instance, he has a Madball collection, which was a toy in the 80s. Yeah. Sure, they were the things that had little, like, weird faces on them, like, you know, they stick, yeah. sticking their tongue out or whatever. Oh, exactly. And, and... And Greg, oddly enough, has a T-shirt company, so he's constantly immersed in that kind of culture stuff. It's pretty amazing. But yeah, for me, it was more than just like pop culture. I actually like loved Mr. T when I was a kid. When you when you met him at the at the Planet Hollywood, were you able to impart to him how important he'd actually been, like the the, the say no to drugs stuff, and how he was kind of the only adult you had to look up to as a kid? No, no, no. I mean, literally, if this was a mob scene, like I got an autograph, I got a photo. And then I went outside and weeped quietly. <laughs> really? Wow. Did you actually cry? I totally did. <laughs> my uh, my friend Costa was there, so he's a witness. But yeah, I really, uh, I kind of cried my eyes out, to be honest. Mike, that's oh. that's really touching. I'm 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 being absolutely serious. That's really touching. Was it just that you had been carrying around all this kind of Mr. T emotion from your childhood and then from collecting his stuff? I mean, what do you think was the what was the crying about? You think? Well, it was. It's, uh, it's a little bit of that. It was more like, this is a guy who, like, really changed my life, you know? You can and really so, literally say that. Yeah, I can say that easy. Yeah. That's amazing. I mean, and he's kept that positive message throughout his entire career. Have you ever oh. thought about trying to cultivate a real friendship with him at this point? Because, I mean, he's not that famous anymore. Like, I think that's no, no, well within the possibility for you. Well, this is, see, this is the funny thing, is that Mr. T's people think we're crazy, me and the me and the guy who run the site, for no reason. I mean, we've only ever tried to contact him once, and we were sort of run off. A what bit. What did you guys? You wrote a letter or something, or called him? Yeah, no, we we uh, we emailed his agent, and then we followed up with a call, because we we have legitimate offers to do book deals of the collection, and most of the publishers won't get on board unless Mr. T gets on board, and Mr. T's people won't get on board unless the publisher's on board. Oh, yeah. It's like a chicken and egg. They've seen the Washington Post story, though, right? They have, and that's when most of the literary agents called us, and that's when most of the publishers got interested. So we're now, I guess about two years later, we're now officially working on a book with Mr. without Mr. T. And then the hope is is that when we show him the product or show his people the product, they'll sign on. But like, Mr. T seems to be one of these guys that never checks his email. He probably doesn't even have email. He's probably never even been on a computer, you know? <laughs> I, I, would, I would venture he doesn't know something called a computer exists. No, no, exactly. Like, he, a, a friend of mine works at TV Land where he had that show. Yeah. And he, you know, that most recent show anyway. And he came in 
did this big photo shoot. Was you know very cooperative, very cool, but it, well, this is mean to say, but it was pretty checked out as far as current events go. <laughs> was there anything glaring, like he hadn't heard of Hitler or something? <laughs> no, 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 nothing like that. Just like you know, there was no like no, he didn't really talk about. They, I think they brought up like email, and he didn't really know what was going on. Right. That's not well. That's but you know what? That's it's about playing to your strengths, and that's not that's not Mr. Oh, T's no, strength. So, so don't you get the feeling? And, and we're, I, we're we're actually out of time. I'm totally bummed. Like this has been the most fascinating conversation we've ever had on this radio show. <laughs> and I'd like to please invite you back. Yeah, sure. To talk about this, and uh, maybe if we could help, like well, that's if we what sent I'm wondering an MP3 about. of this interview. Well, I'm thinking. I think we. I, I believe it or not, I think we could probably get Mr. T's number for you. Like, I, th- yeah. I if you if we could figure it out so you could talk to Mr. T, would you would you be up for it? All right. Yeah, uh, I'd be happy to do it. Okay, we're going to work on that. I know some people who know some people. And I think if we could, I just feel like if you could talk to Mr. T on the phone for five minutes, I bet you he would be totally down with it. I would imagine. All right, Mike. I, I can't promise anything, but we're going to try. Yeah, no worries. We're going to try to do what we can to put you in touch with Mr. T. And, and, Mike, thank you so much for coming on. That's an amazing story. Oh, no problem. And uh, good luck with everything. And- thank you. And I'm sorry the TBTL players massacred. Such a fine piece of work. Now I feel now I feel awkward. Those guys are fired. No, it was very funny. All right. All right. Mike Essel, his website is Mr. T and Me dot com. Um and uh let's do that, Jen. Let's try to yes. get Mr. T's number. Yes. Let's try to let's try to set up a meeting. That, that I think that's the most amazing interview we've ever done. Yeah. Yeah. That was that was like I was getting kind of emotional hearing him talk about Mr. T and I would have never Going into it, that's not what I was expecting. <laughs> not at all. That took a turn. Okay, let's take a break. Uh, we'll do some news, and then uh, when we come back, we'll do some listener mail. I don't know. I may just actually skip the rest of the show. I'm just going to start looking for Mr. T's number right now. <laughs> I may be back after the break. I may not. This is TBTL. All right, Mike, how do people get a hold of us? How do people get involved with the show? We actually count on it. We need you to get involved with the show. Our website is littleredbandwagon.com. It actually is a 10710 website. That's Jeremy's project. We are under his umbrella. But uh, you can go there and you can fill out a form. And that form will ask you, be prepared, folks, because it will ask you to find the clip or at least attempt to find the clip that you want to play, the segment that you most loved in, in TVTL history. Um, if you make a compelling enough case, we will look for it on our own. But please make, especially Christy's life, much easier. <laughs> and just direct her not only to the, not only to the, to the show, but the segment and the timestamp and all that stuff. So if you want to get in touch with us on Facebook, you can, you can friend me. I don't know how Christy feels about friending everyone, but. <laughs> But you can friend me or you can just go to the Stents page or our page, uh, littleredbandwagon.com. And, oh, sorry, Little Red Bandwagon on Facebook. Our personal Twitters, we, uh, I am at Drew McFrizz, D-R-E-W-M-C-F-R-I-Z-Z. And since three people died last week, I'm number 9,998 funniest person on Twitter. <laughs> and Christy is Kissy Eyes, which is the way that infants and uh, toddlers pronounce Christy Wise, and that's K-I-S-S-I-E-Y-E-S. If you want to get in touch with us directly on Twitter through um, 
through our uh, our show account, LRB Podcast, at LRB Podcast. And Jeremy will be happy to get back to you because <laughs> he is Mr. Twitter. You can email us at, at littleredbandwagon at gmail.com if you feel like you have a lot more to say than uh, is on the forum, on the website, or if you just want to give us some feedback. Make it positive in Christy's case because she has a thin skin. Uh, if you want to come at me, come at me, bro. Come at me. I'll stick my friend Matt on you. You'll be fucking sorry you ever. <laughs> so our voicemail, if you want to uh, get in touch with us that way, 802-432-TBTL. That's 802-432-8285. Christy's podcast is Nerd Out Loud. Christy, uh, what's your latest episode over there on the Nerd Out Loud? We have uh, friends of the show um, from Tired and Emotional, Joe and Mike McCauley. All right, and on the Takedown podcast, which we recorded last night and is going to be released uh, simultaneously with this show, we let Jeremy make a case for space. I often am accused of cyberbullying Jeremy on Facebook <laughs> and on Twitter. And on Facebook, it's not really true. He sort of bullies himself. Uh, but on Twitter, when I'm not trying to stop him from uh, soliciting free stuff from companies on Twitter, which is his his thing. He wants, you know, he he's very he's very interactive with brands, and he's basically trying to get free shit. Um, I call him out on that, which isn't so much bullying, but when he does do space posts about whatever's launching, whatever projects going on, I actually kind of do bully him with pictures of uh, people burning money. Uh, and also rockets exploding. <laughs> I'm not very approving of all the money we spent on space, but he made a very compelling case for the space program. And y'all should go listen to that. And that audio might actually be better than ours. Oh, no. Which would be pretty amazing. It was. Uh, let's see. Uh, Christy, I think uh, you can get us out of here. I know we've run very long, and I'm sorry, but, uh, you know, we had a lot of boring stuff about me to get out there yeah. um so next week we'll have cat roller extraordinaire boss 10 robert pape and uh, bobby pape that's my man <laughs> bobby pape you know, you know you know christy a lot of people have asked about you know what's going on with the cat rolling who's involved um what's the process for like uh, finding a new way to cat roll do do i need to get it in in the club i mean we have a a lot of questions. I know the stints will have a lot of questions about mm -hmm. cat rolling. Pape will answer those, and we'll also get his his favorite episode. Yes. All right. So until next week, this is the next party. And Jen, we love you. Nailed it.